If you're struggling personally or professionally, it's not because you're doing something wrong. If the country's problems seem insurmountable, they're not. This stuff is hard. If it was easy, you would have figured it out by now. Fact is, people are way more complicated than you think, and so, naturally, their problems are too. One of my favorite expressions is, you don't know what you don't know. Like a new pair of glasses, this podcast will give you life-altering insights into seemingly hopeless problems. I'm your host, Elaine Belson, and with nearly 30 years of clinical experience, including the Army, I know what works. And I know how to transform profound ideas into messages that are easy to understand, remember, and apply to your own life. Because I do it every day. As a social worker and self-described political junkie, I'll also explain the real reasons behind social division and how to fix it. We don't have a crystal ball to see into the future, but we can have a toolbox full of coping skills to carry us through life's journey. This is where you get your sense of control and mastery over your life. That's what this podcast is for, to fill up your toolbox. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody, to another episode, episode three of It's More Complicated Than You Think. I am Elaine Belson, licensed clinical social worker with my co-host, Fritz. Say hi to Fritz, everybody. Hey. (laughs) Um, Now, today's topic is um, it's time to rethink public education to prepare children for life. And today... I kid you not, is U.S. Teachers Appreciation Day. And I I totally planned that. I really totally planned that. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) I wish I could say I planned that. So let's get started. Uh, Fritz, um, you have children. How old are your children? They are. That's actually a really easy question because now all of their ages are even numbers. They are six eight, 10, and 12. That's going to change a little bit later this month. I didn't month, know you had so. four children. Yeah. Wow. Four. We don't do anything in moderation here, Elaine. And they're all girls. <laughs> and they're <laughs> all girls? That, did you know that they're all girls? Good for you, Fred. Yes. Okay. Consistency. Yes. <laughs> that's good. Adding to the uh, female population, that's what we need. Mm-hmm. So um, do they attend public school? They don't actually. We homeschool. Oh, yeah. Very but, cool. Yeah. But I, you know, I went through public school. Charlotte went through public school for a few years and then she was homeschooled. And so, you know, this is this is still a relevant topic, even though we're not in the public school system. So, right. you know, it shouldn't Do you mind throw if things I ask off. why you homeschool? Well, just kind of looking at my, my own schooling career, like I really came out of that disappointed for the reasons I think we're going to talk about in a little bit here, but I honestly spent more time worrying about trying to blend in, trying to fit in, not get picked on. And I didn't learn nearly as much in school 
because of that. You know, I spent my mental faculties on, you know, that crucial balance of getting through without being attacked. Mm -hmm. So we were like, well, kind of compared notes and said, I think this is the direction we're going to go. We want to do homeschooling. Right. Well, it's funny because when you mentioned homeschooling, the first thing that people ask, and I bet they ask this of you is, well, how did they get socialization? And there's four of them. They social, I'm joking. (laughs) They just socialize amongst themselves. You know, I mean, the polite answer is that they do get socialization because there are other homeschoolers and there's homeschooling groups. And they often do arrange activities where they get to meet other kids. And of course there are extracurricular activities that they can do. Um, But the answer that I always want to say is, you know, it depends on what you call socialization. I mean, the kind of socialization a lot of these kids get is not the kind that most of us want for our kids, right? Right. So, right. yeah. And I mean, as far as that's concerned, what we do, we, we involve them in every aspect of our lives. Like my wife and I, we have a business and they come with us. You know, they see the process, they learn about how to communicate with people. There's little kids that come up, there's older adults, there's elderly, and it, they, and they, they understand, they see by how we communicate, they start to learn language patterns. I mean, they got their own personalities, but they know how to communicate and they communicate well with adults. So I think we're doing something right. <laughs> but yeah, it can well, be a challenge. Anything it really like can be. you, I'm sure they're going to grow up to be great people. Ah, thank you. <laughs> um, so I want to start off by telling you about this interesting fellow. His name is Hamish Brewer. And um, for those who want to Google him, it's H as in hotel, A as in alpha, M as in Mike, I as in India, S as in Sierra, H as in hotel, uh, and Brewer, just like it sounds, B-R-E-W-E-R. Okay. Anyway, He is um, this tattooed guy, okay? He's originally from New Zealand, okay? He's a principal, was a principal actually. Now he does public speaking, Um, but he he was this principal that turned around two public schools in Northern Virginia. One was an elementary school and one was a uh, middle school. Um, So he... He has tattoos all over him. He's known sort of as the tattooed principal. Um, He grew up in foster, the foster care system. So that kind of influenced some of his approach. So let me tell you some of the things that he did. He would skateboard in the hallways. He used a desk, like a rolling desk that had wheels on it. And he'd put a laptop on top of that. So he wasn't just, you know, holed up in his desk, sort of disconnected from all the students. Um, He had the um, people paint murals of inspiring leaders. Usually there's leaders of color because the, I think both schools were, um, I think both Latino. Um, 
And he, in the beginning of the school year, he held pep rallies for the parents to let them know that we can't do this without you. Right. To kind of, I think, part of, partially motivate them, but partially also hold them accountable. Um, and he would encourage teachers to prioritize making a difference over testing. Every morning he would get on the loudspeaker and he would tell the kids how much he loved them. So that's, that's Hamish Brewer. Um, so this is one of my pet peeves about, um, about public schools. I was a member of um, the local county here. We had a safety advisory committee that was made up of four parts. There was logistics, you know, like if there's a fire, where do people go? Um, building security, like making sure doors are locked and there's cameras, cybersecurity, which speaks for itself. And then mental health was the fourth one. Mm-hmm. And right. what I hear from people is from teachers, parents, is that mental health is a huge concern, maybe the primary concern. I remember this was, I think, before the election, but uh, Jill Biden was being interviewed along with uh, her husband and (laughs) and she was telling she was telling uh, telling the reporter that um, she's had, you know, lots of uh, teachers come up to her because she is a teacher herself. And she said the number one issue that they tell her about is mental health. So I'm going to give you some statistics. According to the National Center for Education Statistics, students ages 12 through 18 reported 764,000 victimizations in 2019. Now, because of COVID, that was the last year that they had data because the kids were in school the whole time. Right. Um, This includes, what does does victimizations include? It includes physical altercations, theft, bullying, and hate crimes. And that number was 250,000 more incidences than these students were encountering away from school, like in their neighborhoods. Man, that's awful. Yeah. Yeah. School shootings have increased threefold from 23 incidents in 2000 to 2001 to 75 incidences in 2019 to 2020. And then there's also suicide. Um, it's at an all-time high for young people, ages 10 to 24. And it is the second leading cause of death among teenagers, ages 15 to 19. That's sad. That's sobering. It is. I mean, we know what's happening, but having the numbers in front of you is like, holy moly, what is going on? Right, right. Yeah. Right. Right. 
And of course there's substance abuse as well. Um, I don't have the statistics for that. Um, yeah. But I do know that there was a record number of deaths due to overdose um, over, it was the last 12 months. Um, this was from 2020 to 2021 that the statistics um, were, it was 100,000 deaths due to drug overdose. Mm -hmm. And, you know, wow. it all starts, it all starts when they're young. And, you know, ideally we would like for all children to grow up in a healthy environment, right? But that unfortunately mm -hmm. isn't always the case. And, um, and whether we like it or not, the one place that we know we can have an impact is in the school system because they're going there every day. And um, it not only affects other children and, and their ability to learn if there's children that are disrupting the class. Um, I hear about fights breaking out all the time now, things that were just completely unheard of when mm -hmm. I was growing up. Right. The, the, the most horrible thing that a child did when I was growing up was pulling the fire alarm. I remember one kid doing that once and getting into big trouble for it. But yeah. the idea of somebody bringing like a gun or, you know, some kind of weapon to school or fights mm -hmm. breaking out just was unheard of. Yeah. And, and just to juxtapose this for you, the worst fight I ever saw, first it was a fight but for me, it happened in junior high school and there was a, there was a troubled kid and a popular kid and the troubled kid during lunch actually went to the shop class and stole like the biggest crescent wrench that he could find. And he used that as a weapon. Oh my gosh. There was blood everywhere. And that, the troubled kid actually ended up being in juvenile hall or actual right. jail or something. I mean, we were teenagers back then, mm -mm. but like it was war and it's like what in the world and of course all the kids are like in a circle around them like yeah you know yelling and stuff and it's like so to yeah. go from pulling the fire alarm to you know knocking somebody over the head with a wrench that's my how times have changed right yeah you know and people like to they make it sound easy, like, oh, kids are too indulged these days, you know, not enough discipline, not enough consequences. Well, folks, remember what the title of this podcast is. Um, it's way more complicated than that. And so one of the things that has been a burning desire on my part has been to have a mental health curriculum in the school systems. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, and what does that mean? So I would like to see a class, you know, we have, we have health education, right. And I know in health education, they do cover like suicide. Um, and there are um, sometimes there's clubs that um, 
are involved in suicide prevention and they hang up posters and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But if you don't get to the underlying causes, right, um, and empower children to be able to make good decisions, it doesn't matter. It's like right, right. me handing over to you um, a tool that you don't know how to use, you know, um, you know, it's fine to say, don't, you know, don't hurt yourself or don't kill yourself or here's some things that you can do. But if you don't address the underlying motivation, right. And right. what other stressors are contributing to it, then you have the kind of statistics we have going on right now. Um, we, we also have to take into account that, um, kids are not little adults, right? Mm, Um, yes. Neurologically they're not, so they don't make decisions the way we do. And I'll talk a little bit more about that a little bit later, but, um, my daughter, she was in Girl Scouts and I remember, one time having a conversation with her troop. Um, and these were teenagers, they were in high school by them. And asking them about, we have what's called a um, see something, say something uh, mm-hmm. policy in the public schools. And I asked them, I said, if uh, someone came up to you and said that they were thinking about killing themselves, would you report it? Guess what they said? Did they say no? They said no. What? Yes. Do you know why they said no? No. They said, I don't want to be a snitch. Yep. Oh, my my goodness. Right. Well, you know, there's a lot of peer pressure. They equate that with tattling. Yeah. Right. Well, yeah. They have a friend that confides in them. and, And I you know, I see ch- children, I see teenagers, and we have this conversation about, um, you know, would you rather have your friend mad at you or dead? You know, do you want to take that risk? So, um, but what is an interesting um, strategy that I use all the time is I ask kids what if the situation reversed right mm-hmm. um you know what if um you know what if that if that person um you know what if you had um confided in that person what would you want them to do right, right. um and how would you feel if if they told, right, but it got you help. Sometimes you have to get them outside of themselves and kind of to think about things more critically. Hmm. Right. Same thing is what if they're if they're thinking about suicide, you know, I'll ask them, how would you feel if a friend did that? You know, so it's better not to tell them what to do. It's better to ask them questions like, how would you feel if your friend confided in you and you didn't tell anybody and then that friend killed themselves? How would you feel about that? Yeah. Yeah. How would you feel after? Right. How would you feel if, um, 
um, if, if a friend of yours, um, you know, you know, how, if they didn't, even if they didn't come to you, how would you feel if a friend of yours killed themselves, you know, and of course they'd say, I wish that they'd come to me and talk to me about it. Right. In terms of if they're thinking about it themselves. So anyway, um, so, so what I would like to see is a class that specifically teaches skills in communication, problem solving, conflict resolution, suicide prevention, self-esteem building, dealing with bullies, dealing with peer pressure and anger management, hmm. um, to name a few. Yeah. Um, these are coping skills that are vital for survival. It's, you know, managing all of these different emotions, you know, stress and um, feeling overwhelmed and, um, you know, pressure. So these are, these are coping skills that they'll use the rest of their lives. This is the kind of stuff that I teach my patients all the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we also need, I think, to, as I was talking about earlier, recognize that kids are not little adults. Um, and um, like teens, for example, they need more sleep. And we have it backwards here. We have it so that little kids get up later and teens get up earlier. It should be the other way around really <laughs> because they, right. need, yeah. they need more sleep. Yeah. Little kids need less sleep. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, their brains are not fully developed. Brains are not fully developed until the age of 25. And the last thing to be developed is the frontal lobe. And the frontal lobe is what's responsible for rational thinking, planning, prioritizing, impulse control people, right? Mm -hmm. So if you wonder why your teens are impulsive and don't think things through, right? Yeah, is, their frontal uh, lobes aren't done cooking. Their frontal lobes aren't done cooking, right? I, I somehow think that if I told that to our 12-year-old, it would not go over well. What's wrong with your frontal lobe? What's wrong with your medulla oblongata? <laughs> Parenting 101. <laughs> well, you know, and, and honestly, this drives me crazy because parents, they don't also don't bother to learn about, you know, child development. Yes. You know, there's a lot of things that children do that are perfectly normal for children to be doing, including having temper tantrums, mm -hmm. you know, and, and the more you understand about child development, you know, the more equipped you are to know how to respond when something happens, you know, but we have to remember that they're not little use little parents. Um, and um, so on top of that, you know, other, other physical issues are like more nutritional school lunches, you know, even I know we talked about it. Uh, we've talked, you know, we've been talking about it in this country for who knows how long, but still, you know, the kind of lunches that I hear they have at the schools are not healthy. Mm -mm. 
Um, pizza is like one of the defaults back when I was a kid and it was yeah. the most popular. Oh yeah. yeah. Pizza Fridays, those square, the square mm-hmm. pizzas that, yep. yeah, they, they weren't good, but they were different. So yeah, they had it every day when I was in school. They had oh, really? it every single day. Yeah. It was one of the options. On Fridays. Yeah. But when I was in high school, I do not think I ate cafeteria food once the entire time I was in high school. Really? Yeah. Now, I was in high school for three years because um, it was 10th, 11th, and 12th back in those days. And junior yeah. high was 7th, 8th, and 9th. We called it junior high, not middle school. Yeah. We wanted to feel a little more like we were growing up, so we called it junior high. Yeah. Right. Instead of being like middle, like middle child, like, oh, what am I? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, <laughs> that probably is a more appropriate description yeah. for them, though. That is middle, 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 middle child, middle syndrome. child syndrome. I mean, so many people try to block out those middle school years. You know, I can hardly remember them myself. <laughs> Such a difficult period. But anyway, I know, I know it. Um, we need more mental health professionals and special needs teachers. Um, and again, I can tell you all kinds of horror stories. Um, a little bit about me. Um, I'm in private practice, but um, whenever I see kids or teenagers, um, I will set up meetings with uh, teachers and um, what's a word I'm trying to think of? I, I guess other other. Um, it's in there. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> It's early other, like. other staff. Okay. Other staff, yeah. admin people. Um, so there's, uh, you know, s- teachers, special ed faculty, school counselor, psychologists, vice principals, and IEP facilitators. You know, I'll meet with all of them. Um, sometimes the students will be there too. And it just blows my mind how focused they are on behavior and how little they think about what is motivating that behavior, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, you know, and I will talk about it. Sometimes it's something specific to that child, something they're going through. And sometimes a lot of times it's just more general kinds of issues that children deal with. Uh, So for example, there was this one little girl, I was actually seeing her mother and then her mother asked me to help with her girl, her child. And that happens a lot too. Um, but she had to take uh, some sort of medicine and um, she was giving the nurse a hard time about it. And so I came into the schools to find out what was going on. And you know, one of the things that I found out from her is that they would have her leave the classroom to go get her medicine. Mm-hmm. Well, kids hate to be different. They hate to stand out in a at least in a negative way. Yeah. You know, I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was always a big problem with kids back in the day when, you know, you had to take your ADHD medicine, you know, it didn't last long enough to, to be able to take it at home. Um, so I had to take it in school and I, you know, a lot of adults now remember that and felt embarrassed mm-hmm. by it. So, so, you know, we talked about that and he said, well, and, and she'll, she would imagine people staring at her, the other, other kids staring at her, even though they probably weren't. So, so we talked about, you know, what would be a time 
like maybe when everybody's out on the playground before school starts, you have them come in and instead of going straight to the classroom, she can go to the nurse. Um, so, you know, just little things like that, that people don't think about, like, you know, people in right. school, school systems don't think about. Um, so anyway, um, but, you know, a lot of times when I work with school counselors or school psychologists, they do. I remember um, there was one school counselor who had set up this um, kind of like a quiet zone in the classrooms, a little desk off to itself. And it had like this, um, she, she made this really neat kind of flip cards that gave you different ideas for how to calm down, you know, mm-hmm. um, had, uh, I think, um, some, some um, paper and, and crayons or whatever, so you could color if you wanted to, just right. different things like that. But, you know, the other thing is that kids don't express themselves the way adults do. Yes. Um, in fact, one of the analogies that I like to use with parents, okay, so, and I'll, I'll use it with you. So imagine if you are sitting on the couch and you're watching your favorite TV program, okay? Mm-hmm. And your wife comes up, she grabs a remote out of your hand, sits down and changes the channel, but you can't talk. What are you going to do? Mm. Whip out my phone and start surfing Reddit. I guess. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if that's what I would oh, do. You mean, like, you mean to I'm move? Gonna, no, it's like, I'm going to just find a different uh, inflow of entertainment. I was watching the TV. I guess we're not doing that now. So I will find something else to do. Oh, TikTok's well, pretty Fritz, fun. that's too healthy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to yell at her. She's got the remote. What am I going to do? She's got the, no, I'm kidding. But yeah, I mean, it, it, I mean, my natural inclination would be like, Wow. You're either going to scream and yell, right? Or you're going to grab the remote out of her hand, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's what children, that's children. They don't have that insight into their feelings and the ability to articulate them, right? It's just not part of their makeup yet. And so that's why they act out. And what I teach parents and we'll do a whole, we can do a whole episode on parenting skills. But what I teach them is to listen for the emotion, not the content of what they're saying, but the emotion behind it. Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, so what, what are your thoughts about this idea about having a mental health curriculum? I really like it. And, you know, just thinking back to what it was like for me in school like I remember the the only phase of school that I remember knowing who the counselor was and there was just one it was elementary school I know that junior high and high school there had to have been some but they were like squirreled away in some closet somewhere I don't know where they were I didn't know my name surprisingly there aren't in high school at least not here yeah not well, not in yeah. my where I live. Yeah, the counselors but, are more like career counselors, getting getting kids prepped for graduation. Yes, they had those kind. They 
mm-hmm. had those kind, but the ones that were more in line with mental health, they were few and far between. And there was always a stigma like, ooh, they had to go to the counselor. Oh, you know, and then you become a pariah. You know, it's like nobody wants to hang around those kids. Like, what's a weird kid that went to the counselor, right? So then you end up shutting down and not talking about your feelings. But I mean, if there's a curriculum in a school that can open the dialogue up and make it safe for people to share about that kind of thing, I wonder what that would do. I mean, it would have a noticeable effect, but I wonder what would happen. Something good. Mm-hmm. you yeah. know i'm uh, kind of and it I'm hopefully by, would also normalize it, it right would, and we don't have to call it mental health i mean right call it uh, call it something else no i'm thinking yeah, back to skills. what you said before yeah i was thinking back to what you said before about how it's important to include you know good nutrition a good amount of sleep and the teachers that i've talked with you know the ones that are struggling with this very thing in their school in their classes they know kids that are dealing with this issue they're just tired, you know? So I think that it extends to the faculty as well. Like if there's a curriculum that's in place, there should also be some way to educate the teachers, help them get better sleep habits, help them get better nutrition. Because when they're at the top of their game, I bet you that guy from New Zealand, that principal that skateboards around the school, I bet you he gets eight hours of sleep every night. Yeah, uh, I bet you he, he, he obviously works out too. You can he does. I, I looked him up and I'm like, oh. I wonder what this guy looks like. Because he's from New Zealand and he's got tattoos. Is he Maori? No, he's not. He's just he's a dude. And uh, he just happens to have tattoos. I'm like, I don't know. I profiled yeah. the guy. I'm get like, the, well. The ta- tattoo skateboarding yeah. principle. Yeah, I'm going to actually get to a whole section about talking about teachers and teacher training. Yep. Okay, um, cool. But, um, you know, the other thing is I would like to see more emphasis on, you know, what we call life skills, you know, rather than teaching trigonometry and biology, I apologize for math and science teachers, but I would like to see more, um, you know, teaching about life skills like time management, um, helping uh, people you know, helping students find uh, careers that match their, their skills and their interests, uh, resume writing, basic car repair, basic home repair, cooking, of course, there is like home ec, um, and financial management, which I know my daughter's school offers, although I'm not sure exactly if it helps in terms of like figuring out budgeting and um, you know, like paying bills and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, what, what about you? What do you think about that part? You know, just teaching more life skills and less, you know, the sort of traditional kinds of, uh, you know, topics, subjects, yeah. you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic. Yeah, I think it'd be great. And thinking back to the list of, skills that you mentioned cooking was the only one of those that I learned and that was an elective so I didn't have to take it and I did not learn any of the other stuff until much later in life and I just saw on LinkedIn there's a good friend of mine whose name is Yoheved she's real deep in the education space I'd like to get you two in touch actually you'd get along great um 
she had commented on a post. Somebody said, you know, if there was a gym that opened up and someone spent 12 years at the gym and then started saying, you know, everything that I learned, I learned outside of the gym, you'd probably rethink what you're doing in the gym. And then they said, now replace gym with schools. And it's like, right? Yeah. This is the kind of stuff. And I didn't really learn this from my parents. I didn't learn this in school. I learned this in corporate America. And I didn't get good at it until just a couple of years ago. Right. Right. I'm 41. So it's like 39 years I have to go before I learn this stuff. Yeah. It would be good if they talked about this kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, what's the point in giving a child an education, right? If it's not going to help them. It's not going to prepare them for life. Right. Right. Yeah. The running joke, you know, how do I fill out my tax return? Fear not. Mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, right? That's like the running joke. They teach you that in school. And it's like, when am I ever going to use this? I'm never going to use this, right? <laughs> I need to know exactly. how to file my taxes. I need to know how right. to balance a checkbook. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, for for kids that are interested in math and science, you know, you can have um, different uh, tracks for different students, depending on, you know, that that's where the career counseling kind of comes in, you know, Mm -hmm. is helping kids to, you know, and exposing them to some extent so they can see whether they like it or not. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I hated math. I was never good at it. I took what I had to take just to get, get through it. Right. Math 101 and statistics when I was in college mm-hmm. <laughs> and in high school, um, you know, I just barely got by that. You know, it surprised most people to know this, but I was not a good student in high school. What? Yeah. I just barely got by. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, but, but then when I went to college, it was total 180 for me. And you know why? Mm. Um, Because in hindsight, I realized that I had a lot of anxiety and it was the, um, the social pressures, the, um, the, this, uh, the clicks, it was very clickish. And I remember when I, went from a small high school to University of Maryland, which is this huge, actually, I started out at NYU as a theater major and then moved to Maryland. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, it, it was just it, the, the sense of freedom that I had, that I could do my own thing, you know, and I didn't feel all this peer pressure to fit in in a certain way. And so... Um, I recognize now looking back that I had depression and anxiety and that's the sort of thing Mm. that nobody ever stopped to ask me about it. Right. Not even my parents. Yeah. 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 And you know it now because your frontal lobe is fully formed and you can see that in yourself, but it's it's frustrating. Kind of helps a little bit that I'm a therapist too, but just a little bit, just a little bit. So, um, so Getting on to uh, teacher training, right? Um, I, I mentioned already, you know, uh, how much, how so much it, it surprises me how, how little teachers really think about the underlying causes of behavior. Right. Um, you know, and, and I think that's true for, for people in general, but 
you know, I'm surprised that teachers aren't trained more in it. Now, I, when I was a uh, part of this, uh, this safety advisory committee, um, one of the uh, staff members was telling me about a class that they were offering that was teaching more about mental health and the teachers were raving about it and said, I'm so glad I took this course, but it wasn't, um, it, 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 it wasn't a required course. It was, it was, a, right. you know, they had a choice. So, um, but I think we need to help them to, to learn more about that. And teachers, I've, I've always been so impressed with how dedicated they are, how caring they are. They really want to help. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's always the case. I always find that to be the case. It's just not being trained. Um, some of the, you know, psych- the psychology, more psychology of behavior. Um, mm-hmm. So just some of the different considerations, things that can influence a child's behavior are... Um, Obviously, abuse, it could be emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse at home, neglect, um, just uh, dysfunction uh, in the family may not, you know, may not be, uh, you know, there's a lot of people that grow up in dysfunctional families. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, there's this cartoon, I love this cartoon. So it has this auditorium, this empty auditorium, except for two adults that are sitting in separate parts of the auditorium with big smiles on their faces. And there's a banner above them that says, welcome adult children of functional families. (laughs) I shouldn't laugh at that. That's serious, but it just, it's, it's actually, I tell I tell patients that all the time because it is normal. I mean, we all grow up with some degree of dysfunction in our families, right? Yeah. And, you know, depending on what it is and how, you know, to what degree, um, you know, it, it can obviously interfere with the child's learning and affect their behavior. Mm -hmm. Um, Hunger is another one. Um, And uh, underlying um, sometimes mental health. Uh, diagnoses, uh, ADHD, obviously, is one, and then anxiety, depression, as I mentioned. Um, and even on the autism spectrum, my daughter is uh, has Asperger's, so mm. high-functioning autistic, and we didn't get her diagnosed till middle school, right? Wow. And, you know, so if it's, it's, it's helpful to know that because, you know, kids that are on the spectrum of high functioning, uh, you know, it can be harder to, to recognize, right. That that's what it Mm -hmm. is, but you'll, you'll see things like they'll struggle with what we call executive functioning skills, like planning and organizing and problem solving. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, they also often, have ADD, which is attention deficit disorder or ADHD. Actually it's, it's ADHD. And then there's inattentive type or hyperactive type, but that's what clinically we refer to it. But, um, 
but there's, you know, a lot of kids that just have the inattention, they don't have the hyperactivity. And if you don't, if you have a child that isn't that hyper, you may not recognize that, that there is some ADHD going on, just the inattentive type. Um, And it's very common uh, with uh, kids on the spectrum. Those two often go hand in hand. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then, um, so we talked about, you know, understanding the neurology of kids. And um, one of my favorite uh, expressions is, this is, I didn't make this up, um, but kids who need the most love will ask for it in the most unloving of ways. Yeah, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. That's powerful because we'll we'll respond to the behavior, like you said before, instead of like, okay, what's the reason why? Why are they acting this way? There's a there's a root cause. I'm gonna steal that. I'm gonna show that to my wife, if you don't mind. <laughs> I give you permission. That was actually okay. hanging, it was like on a poster in a waiting room of a colleague of mine. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. So I don't know who came up with that, but anyway, um, what, so when you were growing up, what was your experience with teachers? I remember three teachers specifically that were outstanding. And one was Mr. Castile in third grade. And then the other two were Mr. and Mrs. Wright in fifth grade. And my experience with them was they knew how to enable kids to succeed. They knew how to, you know, get one-on-one and say, okay, what's the problem? Let's work through this together. They weren't just trying to broad brush and get everybody to be on the same page. They figured it out and then they would celebrate success with you. Mm -hmm. Um, The rest of my schooling was a mishmash of okay teachers. I mean, they're there, they're doing an okay job. And then there were a few that actively picked on me. Wow. Um, Second and sixth grade were one of those things. I mean, I can imagine that they probably thought, oh, it builds character. You know, it's good for the, good for (laughs) the body. It's like, no, it's not. When you're, you know, basically slandering me in front of the kids, that's not a good thing with all these other kids that don't have fully formed frontal lobes yet. Like, right. you, like I get that, you know, you're thinking you're doing right, but it's not being interpreted correctly by these other kids, my peers. Right. Right. So, you know, that. Right. And you know, things, the way that, things yeah. look to a child is so different. Yeah. You know, I yeah, mean, how exactly. many kids said my, my parents yelled at me, you know, to mm-hmm. them, it's yelling. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but to the parent, it's just you know being stern or or being, uh, you know, trying to teach them yeah. something, right? Trying to be firm, yeah, yeah, trying to be firm. Um, yeah, I I have this one memory when I was in sixth grade, and we had this assignment where we were studying um, Greek um, history, right? And I decided for my project, I was going to draw a Greek classic, you know, Greek building, you know, like the Parthenon, I think. And uh, 
I even stayed up to one o'clock in the morning, which is very unusual back then, uh, to, to finish it. So the next day, um, her teacher is standing up there and uh, she, she sees my, um, my, my drawing and she goes, that's not acceptable. I'm like, well, what, why not? And she said, you're not allowed to Xerox copy a picture. I said, I didn't Xerox copy it. I drew it. She did not believe me. Oh, wow. So she said, I'll give you a ruler and pencil, start drawing. And I did. And then she said, okay, I believe you. Never apologized. Yep. <laughs> yep. Got to save that face. Not my favorite teacher. <laughs> Mine either. I think my brother and my sister had her too. She'd been around a long time. So anyway, um, you know, the other thing is just knowing how to handle uh, a classroom. And uh, I have had over the years, a lot of patients that are public school teachers. And so, you know, in addition to helping them with whatever they're uh, dealing with in their private lives, uh, we often do talk about the, their, their work and their frustrations with students. And I try to give them some suggestions for how they can manage the kids better. Mm -hmm. So, um, so anyway, uh, but that's, that's something that, um, you know, it's, it's not, it's not innate. It has to be learned. You know, have right. to be, have to be trained in those, that skill set. So, so then the, the last thing is um, in terms of uh, improving or changing uh, public education is engaging parents more. Mm. And, you know, social workers have been talking about this for a long time. You know, unfortunately, the kids that need the most guidance and support are the ones that usually have the least guidance and support. Um, right. I've had a number of, of patients that are special ed teachers. And when they'll have like parent night, you know, special ed students have very few parents show up. Whereas, right. you know, the mainstream kids will have, you know, a bunch of all their parents show up. You know, same thing with trying to reach out and contact them, you know, getting response, return phone calls or emails or whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. And it's that experience that I've heard um, from, from the teachers that I've worked with. So, yep. you know, and, and I understand they're very busy. Um, I remember when I first started out, I was working with this boy who was in, uh, you know, some emotional uh, classes for, um, uh, you know, emotional difficulties. There was nothing cognitively going on. It was just, he had some emotional difficulties and, uh, the parents had an older son who had sickle cell anemia. Mm. And, um, and so he took up a lot of their time and attention. And um, I don't know that it was being managed well, uh, but uh, cause I know that they we would go to the hospital quite a bit. But I also remember, you know, so on top of that, both parents were working I know the mom was working three different jobs. Right. right. 
And I don't remember whether the dad was working just one job or more, but they were both working. And so, and they had this, this a child that had a, a medical issue. And, and so, um, so I contacted the special ed teacher at this boy's school and we agreed to work together in tandem to help him. You know, so we kept in contact and I would, you know, tell her things I'm working on. She would tell me things that she's working on so that we would reinforce it. And he quote unquote graduated out of those classes, mm-hmm. out of the emotional, um, uh, you know, the, uh, um, the classes for kids with emotional difficulties. Nice. Yeah. Right. So we got what he needed. Yeah. I mean, it, it, but, you know, this is the, the point is that, you know, sometimes parents are, um, they're burnt out themselves, right. especially when you have a child that has a medical issue or special needs of some sort, you know, and, and again, you know, some may argue, you know, schools are for learning, but we also, I'm a pragmatist as a social I'm a pragmatist, and I'm most concerned with what's going to benefit everybody. You know, it doesn't benefit society if these kids aren't prepared for life. Right. right. Um, and it certainly doesn't benefit the other students if they're, um, you know, disrupting classes, if there's behavioral problems or, or, you know, even more seriously, sometimes safety issues, right? Right. So, um, so if we don't address the behavior, um, and I would say of all of this topics, engaging parents is probably the most difficult. You know, I think if you asked teachers, they would say the same thing. Um, so one of the things in social work, uh, that we have, um, I guess this is a model that uh, social workers had uh, come up with decades ago is um, what we call school-based social services, right? Okay. And so what that is, is basically is providing a way for parents to access social services like food assistance, medical assistance, job assistance, housing assistance, rental assistance, energy assistance, right, Um, through the school system, you know, and, um, and maybe it would be in the form of vouchers, or maybe there would be somebody on site that would, you know, help parents, but by getting them into the schools to help them, right, with the things that, that they're struggling with, right, you not right. only help them, which also helps their child, but you also get them engaged and more involved in their child's education, what's, right, going, right. On, what's going on in schools. So um, one of the things that Hamish Brewer would do, I think I mentioned earlier, is he would have like these pep rallies in the beginning of a school year. Um, and we have like teacher conference, you know, teacher um, uh, parent night, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but, uh, but this was different. This was, um, bringing all the parents together. I mean, literally like a pep rally Mm -hmm. and, um, 
motivating them and, and letting them know what the school needs from them. Okay. Um, and so one of the things that I kind of wondered about, and I was kind of curious what you think about is what if, you know, we made meetings like this um, or home visits like mandatory. So like if a parent wasn't following through, there would be a home visit. Um, or if a parent was repeatedly not showing up for meetings, you know, or making like a pep rally, making that mandatory for a parent mm -hmm. to show up. What do you, what do you think about that idea? Well, I think that the mandatory nature of it would have to be like a mutual agreement type thing. You know, if there are like taking, looking at education from 30,000 feet, like the reason why we have public education in the first place is we need to prepare the younger generation to help support the country later. Like that's the reason why. And so if parents and teachers get together and everybody's clear on the vision of like, here's what the goal is, here's what we're needing to teach the kids. This is what we need from you. If they mutually accept and the parent says, okay, I'm going to be doing this. This is, I'm going to pull my weight. And then they say that, but then they don't follow through with their actions. Then, okay, you said you were going to help with this. You said you were going to do this. What the heck, right? Right. Um, I think that's where, that's probably where the rubber meets the road. I think you might encounter quite a bit of resistance if it's just a one way mandatory, like you have to do this, people right. are going to start feeling oppressed, right? And then they're not going to, they're not going to want to contribute. They're going to be like, don't tell me how to do my, this is my kids, you know, and it ends up making a big mess. I think also um, <clears throat> some of the, some of the, and I, I, I hesitate to call it a branding and a marketing thing, but some of the terms probably need to change as well, just because there are still some stigmas associated with some of the terms. And it's like, maybe it's time to like, kind of, you know, not call it this and call it something else. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, for decades, it's been like, oh, you know, parent assistance and you know parent oh well those meetings. are social like services that, right? yeah oh you mean like right. parent teacher yeah i don't yeah. well yeah any anything that that says anything you know because even the term social services like i know you and i know what you mean by that but i know well, that's what they're called dozens of parents i know i mean it's called department of social like, services yeah. Uh, yeah i don't think they yeah. yeah i don't i don't think it's an issue of um not seeking out services um it's right, just a right. matter of where they get them you know and whether we create some sort of collaboration yes to help yeah. more families because because so you know kids have to go to school that part is mandatory so mm -hmm. right um so anyway um we uh so we're pretty much out of time. Um, I apologize uh, to folks if there was a um, glitch in the sound today. <laughs> um, it's been a fun episode. 
<laughs> it feels very we'll low it. key today. I don't know if it's the weather outside. It's very here. It's very I, um, overcast, and it, it, I don't know. My, does it sound? Does it feel sound like my energy level isn't to what it normally is? I don't. I don't know. Or maybe no, it's just such a serious you, topic. You accidentally. You accidentally drank decaf instead of espresso. You got to see, I poured it straight up my nose for full effect. I'm like, I'm I ready. forgot it. That you're right. I forgot to drink my coffee. There we go. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Okay. That is a huge coffee. Oh, coffee. I love it. This is so, this is a bucket. This is my Star Wars. Uh, I got this at the um, Star Wars, Star Wars land. It's not Star Wars land, you know, at Disney. Yeah. Yes, I love I, I collect mugs. The bigger, the better. Um, That's so not anyway, a mug. that is a soup bowl. <laughs> oh my goodness. I didn't know you were in star Wars. That's an important note. The first three, the first three. Yeah. 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 I remember going to see the first one with my friend, Patricia. Uh, and we loved it so much that we hit out like in the first row so mm -hmm. we can see it again. You know, like, could they have somebody come in and clean everything? So we hit out and waited for them to leave. And then we, we saw it again. Um, so anyway, so the point here is that we really, I think, need to start rethinking education and get away from the old and rigid models, to, you know, testing, focusing on education uh, and uh, making, you know, making it about um, test scores and uh, where we rank compared to other countries. I mean, it's always, oh, growing up, that's a way I always heard education talked about in, in those terms, right? Mm -hmm. um, I just think that that's, um, it's not practical for, for what we need right now, for whatever reason, right? Um, so, like I said, what, what good is an education if it doesn't prepare children for life? So, um, any last words, Fritz? No, I, well, I say no, and then I'm going to say some words, but this is really, <laughs> I hope you don't mind. I'm going to actually print this out because even as a homeschooling family, there's some huge actionable advice and that should be a testament to how like well thought this is and i know it's not just we'll just do this one thing i mean it, it takes a concerted effort but what we talked about today could help us mm -hmm. it's going to help the public education sector also and i was serious about getting you in touch with my friend you have it i think she'd be a good connection to make but i'll do that after the mm -hmm. show because i want to stay focused <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, thank you folks for listening. Um, so uh, we will we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to It's More Complicated Than You Think, Episode 3, Rethinking Public Education. To sum up, we need to better prepare students for life by adding mental health curriculum and life skills training. We need to better train teachers to understand and more effectively respond to students acting out. And we need to better engage parents. Next episode uh, is going to piggyback on this one. 
and we are going to talk about Parenting 101. And trust me, you do not want to miss this episode. See you then.